Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10. John Calvin, as many of you would know, once said, We owe to Scripture the same reverence that we owe to God. I was thinking about that this week and just what a precious moment then this moment is in our service. It's actually the only moment where we are infallibly addressed by God when we read his words. God himself addresses us with a word that can revive us, a word that can encourage us, a word that can inform the way we live our lives. If you'd like a title for this morning's message, I've called it More to Life Than This. And we're going to read together from verse 13 of chapter 12 through to the end of verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide their inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its infallibility. I thank you that right now we are being addressed by you as a faithful and kind father to your children. Lord, I pray that we would give this text the same reverence that we give you, that we would stand in awe of your words. We would realize that you are addressing us. Lord, would we delight in your word? Would we open up our hearts to you today? Help us, Lord. Do what only you can and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, many moons ago, when I attended school, which is many moons ago, I was one of those kids that actually really liked being there. I was. I was one of those strange people that actually really loved what we were doing here. I loved the camaraderie of school. I loved the friendship. I had many friends at school. I loved to hang out with them. I loved the sports. Every playtime, every lunchtime, playing soccer for a living. I thought this was fantastic. Playing in the bands. We had different bands in our school. I loved to play in all the different bands. I just loved school. And I even loved learning. I love to actually hear from the teacher about stuff. Geography, oh yes. History, oh yes. I actually found learning entertaining and enjoyable. But what I hated was exams. Exams I found incredibly hard. I would find them all consuming. 
I would think that my life is going to be defined by what is about to take place in the next two hours. And so there were certain periods of my life that I found very difficult. GCSEs were one of them. GCSEs are what you do in the UK when you're 16 years old. And then A-levels, when you're 18 years old, they were really, really hard. And I, I just started to have tunnel vision when it came to these things. I felt totally consumed by them and totally felt that these things would define my life. I'm only 16, but my life will be ruined if I don't do well. And the way I got through that time is I remember many conversations that my parents would have with me. They would sit me down and they would say, son... There is so much more to life than your exams. And they would just slow me and help me see. They parented me well in this. And they would help me understand, son, you're not defined by your exams. You're defined by Jesus. He has a plan for you. You are his. Serve him and honor him. Humble yourself before him and he will raise you up at the right time. But you can trust him. Your life isn't going to be defined by just these exams. Your life is defined by the sovereignty and kindness and grace of God. So work hard and honor the Lord. But don't be consumed by these things. By consumed by Jesus. Well, as I spent time in this text this week and studied it in advance of this sermon, I couldn't help but perceive that Jesus is doing exactly the same with us right here. He's having one of these moments and one of these conversations with us as his children and as his friends right here this morning. And the one thing I think he wants to help us see right here this morning as he sits us down in the crowd is nothing to do with exams, but everything to do with possessions. And the one thing I think he wants us to realize this morning is friend, There is so much more to life than just possessions. There's so much more to life than just what you own. Things you can get so consumed by that you can think will define you. There's so much more to life than your stuff. You know, 15% of the recorded words of Jesus in the Bible, 15% are about money and possessions. He talks more about money and possessions than he does heaven and hell combined. Out of the 39 recorded parables in scripture, some 11 of them relate to money, possessions, and eternity. And the reason for that, my friends, is because although we may try and divorce our faith from our finances, all the way through scripture, Jesus seeks to help us see that your faith and your possessions are always intrinsically and inseparably linked. They're joined together. You can't separate the two. And so he sits us down here and helps us see, friend, there is so much more to life than possessions. Three points in this morning. Number one, a gracious warning, verses 13 through 15. Number two, an insightful parable, verses 16 through 21. And then number three, to close, an essential application. But as we go through this, I really just have one hope. I have one hope that we would hear the words of the Savior this morning. And that we would heed the words of the Savior this morning. And we would realize that, friends, there really is so much more to life than just our stuff. Point one, a gracious warning. Verse 13. says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
This whole scene starts with a request from an anonymous man in the crowd. Now you have to remember that since verse 1 of chapter 12, Jesus has been addressing the crowd of, it says, thousands. There are so many people here in this moment that in verse 1 we discover, as Dr. Luke tells us, that they were literally trampling one another. This is a crazy crowd. There are thousands of people before Jesus in this moment. And so far, up until this point, he's been addressing his disciples, although the crowd have all been listening in. And he's been addressing his disciples, as Brandon, I thought, taught us so well last week, about hypocrisy and the fear of men. The danger of becoming like a Pharisee. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They are riddled with the fear of man. They are riddled with hypocrisy. They're more bothered about what people think than what God thinks. Don't become like them. Serve God, not man. Fear God, not man. Let your speech be Godward, not manward. It is a defining topic and an important topic that he wants to address his disciples with. And at that very point, straight after the exhortation, There is a somewhat out of sync and disruptive request that comes from this man in the crowd. Hey, teacher, thanks for saying that. Really interesting. Anyway, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Do you see how quirky it is? He's not been talking about anything to do with this. But this guy is consumed. Yeah, can you just finish it? Yes, lovely. I'm touched by what you're saying to the disciples. Anyway, help my brother spread out the inheritance rightly and give me some. Well, Jesus responds in verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? See, it would appear that this anonymous man in the crowd is having trouble with his brother regarding his brother not rightly dividing the inheritance. Now, this is quirky because in Deuteronomy 21, there are Jewish laws about how you divide up the inheritance. So it should be super clear how you do it. But often, you know, the sinful hearts got involved and people didn't divide it rightly. And so what you would do traditionally is you'd find a teacher or a rabbi to help you resolve this issue. And so, hey, teacher, can you sort my brother out? This is a problem for me. And Jesus says, no. See, one day Jesus will indeed be the ultimate judge and arbitrator of all things, both for the living and the dead. One day every knee will bow before him and everyone will give an account before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But in this three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, as he heads towards the cross, he makes it clear that he has not come to bring money back to people. He is, bring, he, is, he is giving his life to bring people back to God. He's not in the business of bringing people their property in this moment. He is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. I didn't come to sort your arbitrary issues out with your brother. Not right now. I've come to seek and save the lost. And so he declines. But he's not done with this man yet. See, as Jesus thinks about this man and looks down into the hidden realities of this man's soul, only something that he can do. He sees that the real problem with this man in this moment is not injustice, but covetousness. The real problem for this man isn't that he's been ripped off by his brother and he's like, righteously, we need to stand for justice. That isn't the problem. No, the problem with this man in this moment is he is covetous. 
See, covetousness in the Bible is the eager and insatiable desire for more. That's what coveting is. It's that eager and insatiable desire that if only I get this, then I'll be satisfied. If only I get this, then I'll be happy. If only I can have this, then my life will be complete and I'll be at peace and joyful and satisfied in all things. It is that insatiable desire for more in our hearts. This man, it would appear before the Savior, is riddled with it. Jesus knows this man is riddled with it. But he also knows so many in the crowd and those that will come after this crowd are riddled with it as well. And so he no longer addresses this man. From verse 15 it says, and he said to them. He's addressing everybody. He's addressing all the crowd on this issue of covetousness. My friends, he's addressing us. This is what he says in verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And my friends, I submit to you in this age of affluence that we live in today, what a kind and gracious and important warning this is for us all, is it not? We need the Savior's gracious warning over us. We need to be hearing his words this morning. Because that eager and insatiable desire for more, thinking if I could just get this, I'll be satisfied, was not unique to just this man, was it? We can all find that wrestle. We can all find it hard at different times. And yet the Bible could not be more clear that we should guard ourselves against covetousness with everything we have. In Exodus chapters 20, verse 17, then, for example, we read, you shall not covet. It's not complicated. It's the first four words. I mean, it's just, you shall not do this. Don't do this. Guard your hearts from an eager and insatiable desire for more. Guard your hearts. Why? <clears throat> because it won't satisfy you. You think it will be the sum of everything you want, but it won't be. You see, the Ten Commandments are written for us, as we remember when we went through the, the series on Exodus. They're not God trying to be a killjoy to us. They're God's gracious path for life. He's saying, listen, you do these things, it's going to go well for you. You will thrive. You'll find true satisfaction in a relationship with God. Don't get distracted by these things. So you shall not covet. Why? Because it's a wild goose chase without the goose. You think these things are going to satisfy you. You think if I can just get this, I'll be happy. You will not. Your heart will want for something else. You'll be looking for another wild goose that also doesn't exist. That's why in Proverbs 23 verse 5, it's one of those amusing verses that I just love the picture of it. It says, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I mean, the next time you find something in your life that you think, if only I had that TV, I need the TV, I'd be happy. Just imagine it growing wings and flying off. It will help you in your purchase. It will not satisfy you in the way you think. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You ever find that? You think, if only my boss would pay me a bit more, I'd be happy. 
Guess what? He pays you a bit more. What happens? You're not happy. I want a bit more. I want a bit more. I want a bit more. It's because it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. Our hearts, John Calvin tells us, are all idol factories. We make things up where we think, if only I had that, I'd be so happy. But then we get that and we find it's an illusion and we're not happy. It sprouted wings. It it left us. Jesus knows that. So he tells us right here in verse 15, listen, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I was thinking about that this week. And I think one of the reasons why he says it is because in all reality, it is so easy in our humanity to feel that one's life does consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Can it not? It is so easy to be duped and think, but if only I owned a house, I would be satisfied in all things. If only I had that massive extended holiday, I think I'd be sweet. If only I had an iPhone 13 Pro, my life would be complete in all things. I know I would. Until the iPhone 14 comes out, then I might be dissatisfied. But the iPhone 13, if I only got our hearts, our idle factories. We are prone to think, I believe, that one's life does consist in the abundance of my stuff. Because if I can just get stuff, then I'll be happy. And what Jesus is helping us see here is he sits us down. He's saying, hey, listen, kids, listen up. You won't be happy. It just won't satisfy you. It's a mirage. It's a wild goose chase without the goose. And so take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Church, I want to ask you, are you on your guard against all covetousness? Are you aware that this is going to be a challenge for you? Your heart is going to be drawn to stuff, thinking that it will satisfy you. Are you guarding against that? I remember when I went to school, um, something that I never did, but some of my friends did, was fencing. Uh, it just looked odd to me, and the idea of a sword going towards my face put me off a bit. But I remember watching them do it, and right at the start, they would stand there, and their first words, on guard. They are ready for what's coming at them. Church, are you ready for what's coming at you? In an age of affluence, in Sydney where money is plentiful, are you ready that what is coming after you is trust in me, it will satisfy you? Are you on your guard against that? Jesus wants us to ensure that we don't waste our lives going after the mirage of riches that will never satisfy us anyway. He wants to pull us back in and help us understand, hey, listen, take care. Be on your guard against that stuff. It will never satisfy you. And to help expand on that point and reinforce reinforce these remarks, he then gives us point two, an insightful parable. See, in this parable that follows, he reinforces his remarks with this parable of the rich fool. And he reinforces these remarks, giving us an illustration of a man who, in fact, has not heard these words, has not heeded these words, and instead has become seduced by all kinds of covetousness. This man has taken the bait. He thinks, if I just have stuff, I'll be supremely happy. He is exhibit A. Look with me at verses 16 through 19. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build large ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This man has succumbed and been seduced by covetousness. This parable begins then in a somewhat nameless and neutral way. This main character, this rich man, to start off with, he's somewhat innocuous. He's a rich man, he's a farmer, he has been materially blessed by the Lord. And it would appear that he's been blessed in a a wonderful way and not in a dishonest way. It wouldn't appear that he's gained this wealth dishonestly or through cheating or deception or immorality. No, it would appear that this is a man that God has just blessed financially. He is blessed with wealth. And in that, listen folks, he is just like us. One of the privileges that I have with traveling at different places around the world is every time I come back, I am shocked how wealthy we are here. We are so stinking rich. I don't know when you read the Bible, who you insert when you read about the rich man, but I want to encourage you, it is you. Biblically defined, geographically defined, it is all of us. If you are living here, you are rich. This man is just like us. He has been blessed by God with wealth. He has been blessed by God financially. And just like us, this man is in great danger of covetousness. And sadly, it is a danger and a test that he does not pass. It's a danger and a test that he does not pass in two specific ways. You need to pay careful attention to the words because that's when you see it. See, first and foremostly, he doesn't pass the test because this man has forgotten that, in fact, all that he has is actually the Lord's. That everything he has is actually God's. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Haggai 2 verse 8. For the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. There's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible that everything, every molecule, that atom, everything that exists in the world is actually God's. This man has lost track of that. How do we know? Well, because the Greek personal pronoun is mentioned 12 times in four verses. Four times he uses the word I, eight times he uses the word my. This guy has learned what every kid understands instinctively. What's their first word? Is it mom or dad? No, it's mine. That's what's happened with this guy. As far as he's concerned, everything, it's mine. All the grain, it's mine. The storehouse, it's mine. I've earned it. I'm the farmer. It's on my land. It's all mine. This guy is totally self-consumed. He thinks that everything he has is actually his. Forgetting that, no, it's actually the Lord's. All of it. 
This man has failed the test because first and foremostly he has forgotten that in fact all that he has is the Lord's and married directly to that, number two, this man has forgotten that in fact he's just a steward and not the rightful owner of it all. He's forgotten. He just thinks it's his. He's forgotten that actually everything you have, my friend, is the Lord's. He's forgotten that in the same vein then. He has become completely self-obsessed and self-indulgent. His world is like this big. And maybe it extends to his family. So we'll go to the edge of my property. But that's it. Everything is mine. It's all about me. You can tell because sadly for this man, there's no thought of God in this moment. He's not bowing to his knees saying, Lord, thank you for the way you have blessed me. There's no thought of God. There's no thought of, Lord, how would you like me to steward some of this for your glory, for your mission? There's no thought of that. There's no thought of others. No thought of the needs of others beyond his fence. No thought of the poverty of others beyond his fence. No thought of the opportunities that might come his way through all this seed and stock that has come into his storehouse. No, there is the rank assumption that everything he has is his. So I'm going to build a bigger barn and then I'm going to relax. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. It's all for me. Oh, it is so seducing, is it not? You read this and you think, I don't think he's doing anything wrong. He's just building a bigger barn. It seems wise. No, no. He's thinking about himself. He's not even had a thought towards God or towards others. He has forgotten. He's forgotten that it's all the Lord's And he's forgotten that actually he is a steward of all that the Lord has given him, not the rightful owner. And in all honesty, my friends, it's so easy, is it not, if we're honest, to do exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's just all mine, right? I earned it. I bought it. I haven't asked anybody else for it. It's all mine. It's so easy to do the same thing. To forget that it's all the Lord's and to forget that we're his money managers. Not the owners of it all. Philip Ryken, in applying this in his wonderful commentary on Luke, says it this way. He says, Christians are called by God to live generously. We do not work simply to satisfy our own desires, but also to provide for others. This is not to say that we can never enjoy what God has given us. After all, enjoying God's gifts is one aspect of good stewardship. But Christians who are as wealthy as we are should always be thinking about what we can give to someone else. It is only in this way that money loses its power over us. For as Kent Hughes has said, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. A perpetual generosity that is a perpetual de-deification of money in my life. I like that. A perpetual weekly reminder that money is not my God. He is. So that it may lose its power. Then he says this excellently. He says, for whenever we think like owners, it should be a red flag for us. Because we should be thinking like stewards. Investment managers. Always looking for the best place to invest the owner's money. And in a way that is truly generous. Isn't that good? What wonderful, helpful pastoral advice. So my friends, it's not wrong then to enjoy God's good gifts. Ecclesiastes 5.19 makes that clear. It's a good thing. It honors the Lord when he's blessed us in some way to enjoy that and give thanks to him. 
Likewise, it's not wrong to own things before the Lord. Exodus chapter 22 and Acts 2 teach us that. It, it can be a good thing to own things so that these things can be stewarded for the glory of God. It's not wrong to own things. It's not wrong to enjoy God's gifts. But what is wrong is to assume that everything that God has brought into your storehouse was always for you. Just for you. Just for you personally. That is the mistake we make. My friends, biblically defined, I think for us here in Australia, we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. We haven't been blessed to just take all the goods and say, thanks very much, I'm going to go and relax and eat and drink and be merry. No, we've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. He's poured stuff into our storehouse so that we can give it out and make a difference. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Not on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but in the heavenly realms. They're not my words, they're the words of Jesus. And we have been blessed by God so that we can make a very real difference in this world by being his money managers and investing it strategically and importantly to see the gospel go forward. This man lost sight of that. He thought it was all for him. Oh, thank you. I'm now going to relax and eat and drink and be merry because it's all for me. And what we see then in verse 20 and 21 is God's sobering verdict on this man. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God's sobering verdict on this man's life is that you are a fool. I mean, if there's one thing you don't want God saying to you, it is surely that. You're an idiot. (laughs) But that's the way this man had behaved. He had forgotten that it was all the Lord's. He had forgotten that he's called to steward it and just thought, oh, thanks so much. I'll have it all for myself so I can relax and eat and drink and be merry. He's like, you fool. You have missed the opportunity to be a blessing to others. You've missed the opportunity to store up treasures for yourself in heaven. You've missed the opportunity to make a difference here in this world right now just thinking it was all for you. Fool. You think that by building a bigger barn, you'll just like live forever? Well, actually, you won't, because tonight you're going to die. It's so easy when we get rich. I think it's easy for us in Australia, anyway, to get so wealthy that all we think is about how I'm going to protect myself for all my days. And we assume all our days are going to be very, very long. And we forget that when God says the time is now, you're gone. And you can't stop it. What will you have done with your life? God's sobering verdict on this man's way is that he is a fool. But listen, God's son is telling us this parable so that we not be like this man. It's a gracious and kind warning. He's saying, listen, don't be like this guy. Don't make this mistake. Don't fall for covetousness. And where that leads us then, just in closing, point three, is to an essential application. See, all the way through this text, Jesus has been addressing the crowd. 
He's been addressing the crowd, apart from the first anonymous voice that comes from the crowd where he wants, hey, can you help me out with my inheritance? Since that moment, he has been addressing the crowd, understanding that this is a challenge for everyone present. And I submit to you all the way through this morning, Jesus has been addressing this crowd as well. He understands this is a challenge for all of us in different ways. So he's addressing us all. And so for all of us, there is a required response. See, if you're here this morning then and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, thanks so much for coming. I love that you would come and join us today. I love that you would be wanting to inquire about Jesus. Or maybe you don't want to inquire about Jesus and somebody just dragged you along. I still love that you are here. I love that you've come and been a part of us this morning. And I believe the Lord wants to address you this morning. And what I believe he wants you to know is, friend, there is so much more to life than possessions. It's so easy to think, if I just have this, if I just get this pay rise, if I just go on this trip, then I'll be sweet, I'll be satisfied. Well, I can assure you, you will never be satisfied because those things will never satisfy you. You'll just want something else and something else and something else. God knows that, which is why he tells us that it works like that in his word. But what he also tells us is there is one who will truly satisfy you and his name is Jesus. Having a relationship with God can satisfy the longings of your heart and it is the only conclusion that will actually satisfy what you are looking for. See, the Bible makes it clear that God made us and he made us to actually have our satisfaction in him. He designed us so that we would find our joy in him and our identity in him and our longing in him. The sum of all those things that you actually crave. The problem is in Genesis chapter 3, mankind rejected God. They decided, I'm going to try and find my satisfaction in something else. And we've been doing it ever since. Looking for thousands of different ways to be satisfied. And that's what sin is. It's rejecting God and all that he has for us and instead exchanging it for the kingdom and trying to find it everywhere else. All the time saying, I'm having nothing to do with you. And God could have left us there, but he didn't. For God so loved the world, Jesus tells us, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son on the greatest rescue mission ever told, who gave his life away as a ransom for many. And in doing so, he said, listen, if you put your faith in me as your Lord and Savior, I will return you to the only relationship that will truly satisfy. I will let you back into the garden. I will let you back into a relationship with the Father. I will pay the consequences of your sin, namely death. And in doing so, I will give you true life. True life that possessions can't give you but true life that his death truly could. In Romans 10 verse 9 we read, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I urge you, please do that today. Put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Take him as the King and Savior of your life and you will find true satisfaction in the most unusual of places. You will find true satisfaction in God. A whole new world will open up before you. I was 20 years old when I did that. I've never looked back for a day. And neither will you. I urge you, please, put your faith in him. Because, friend, there is so much more to life than possessions. And, folks, if you're here today and you do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which is most of you, then, friend, 
I want you to know there is so much more to life than possessions for you too. It can be so easy to forget just how dangerous covetousness can be, can't it? It is the air we breathe. And no one even calls it greed or covetousness in the world. They just call it life. Well, no one's scared of life. It's the Australian dream. Or is it covetousness? My friends, are you on the guard against these things? It is so easy to forget just how dangerous covetousness can be. It's so easy to find ourselves looking for things to be satisfied, thinking if I just had that, I think I'd be satisfied. Then I'd start really serving the Lord and giving to the Lord. It's just for a season. No, that season will become another season and another season and another season because it's coming from a covetous heart. It's so easy to forget that we, all that we have is actually the Lord's. It's so easy to forget that we're just stewards and not owners of all that we have been entrusted with. It's so easy to forget that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so my friends, I want to encourage you. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Stand firm. Guard your heart from something that is coming towards you like a steam train. And as an expression of that guarding, I want to encourage you to be generous then with all that the Lord has entrusted to you. He's blessed you so that you may be a blessing. He's blessed you so that you may store up treasures for yourself in heaven. He's blessed you so that you may make a very real difference in this world. See, the wonderful missionary Jim Elliott, he was right when he infamously said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In the world, he is a fool. Why would you give it all away? Just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You've worked hard for it. Enjoy it. But Jim Elliott, with a divine perspective, understood, no. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For my life is the Lord's. Everything he's given to me, I'm just called to steward. So I'm going to give it back to him. And may it all be used for his glory. My friends, may we learn from his example. May we take care and may we be on guard. And may we be generous and rich towards God as a result. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the kind way. The kind way in which you address us. Lord, I thank you that in your mercy you do take time to sit us down and address things that are real for us, that are real heart issues that we all struggle with to some degree. Lord, I thank you for reminding us when our minds can get so consumed by things, so defined by things, that, hey, listen, that ain't it. It's just a mirage, a wild goose chase without the goose. Lord, I thank you that contrary to that, when we look to you, and find ourselves secure in you, we do have the sum of all that we've ever hoped for. Lord, do we not live our lives in as fools? May we learn from this. May we put our faith in you, our trust in you, understanding everything I have is not mine. Lord, as we get back in our cars, as we drive to our homes, as we look around our homes, would we take a moment to realize everything in there is actually yours? Lord, give us eyes to see. 
Give us a vision for you. And may we live our lives in richness towards you. And may it all be used for your glory. In Jesus' name.